0: Welcome to The Brand Collective, a podcast about our favorite brands, featuring stories from the marketers and creatives behind them. I'm your host, Nick Ross. With me, Mackenzie Koss, marketer extraordinaire. Let's get into it.
1: Welcome back to The Brand Collective podcast. Today, we have Sarah Payan, Senior Growth Manager at VoiceFlow. Welcome, Sarah. We're so pumped to have you on. Thanks for having me. I'm pumped to be here.
0: Yeah, everyone's pumped. Uh... Sarah, do you mind telling us a little bit about your background and how you got to the position that you're at right now in VoiceFlow?
2: So I started my tech career as employee number 35 at Drift. Um, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Uh, and I just didn't want to work in consulting or accounting like my business school taught me was good. Um And I started at Drift as the first technical support person. Uh, But around 9 months in, I was brought onto the marketing team to be the Drift for Drift person. Um, So I was building the bots. I was like the voice of the brand on social. um, And I was talking to a lot of customers pre and post sale. Um, And the Drift marketing team got restructured a few times. So I ended up on an experimental growth team for a little bit. Uh, working under Guillaume Caban and Matt Bellotti, who are just like growth legends, uh, super smart people, moved back to the marketing team and spent some time doing like traditional demand gen. Um, But I wanted to test myself and know if I was actually good at marketing or if I was just really good at Drift. (laughs) Uh, So I went from Drift over to Alice, where I was um, the brand content manager for a little bit running their social, running their content and their content distribution, uh, and then moved over to like an ABM customer marketing role. That was super cool, but I missed PLG. They were very enterprise sales... Uh, sort of motion. So that's what brought me over to VoiceFlow uh, that has you know, a freemium model there in the conversation design space, which is basically like the the graphic interface for like chatbot building. So I was back in bots, which was really fun, uh, but I didn't have to be the person like building them for the company this time around, which was a relief. Uh, but it also gave me a little bit of a leg up in that I could I could speak to the people using the product because I was like, oh, yeah, I've been there. Um, and it is a fun process. So that's kind of that's that's how I got here.
0: <laughs> nice. And uh, Love that. rumor has it you're about to start a new opportunity. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that new role and maybe how it's going to be different than your uh, bot expertise?
2: Yes. Uh, my new role is at a company called Dandy. It'll be my first time not entering a company at early stage. So I will be onboarded for the first time, which I'm very excited about. Um, yeah. Big, have videos big. videos to watch. <laughs> yeah. yeah I literally can't wait. <laughs> uh, and I will be the head of marketing strategy for Dandy. And I'm super excited because it's kind of like a SWAT team uh, of sorts where they go where the business needs them to go, which... As a generalist who hasn't had, you know, very consistent experience throughout my career, I'm super excited because I get to touch parts of marketing that I have previously, but I've never gotten to like go go really deep in. So my first project with them is going to be building out a site for them, and then also um, starting the conversion rate optimization motion at at the business as well. And I love AB testing and multivariant testing on websites. It's the most fun. I could talk about that all day long. <laughs> um, and so I'm excited that that's like the first thing I get to dip my toe in. Cause I'll like nerd out about Bayesian statistics for with no one because no one will really care as much as I do. Um, and it'll be great. I'm excited.
0: <laughs> yeah. And do you mind talking a little bit about what Dandy is and, uh, what their, uh, mission is?
2: Yeah. So they're a digital dental lab. So they have a software. They actually sell that software for free um, and they sell to dentists. So if you had to get like a crown or like impression molds done for like aligners or anything like that, they just stick that like retainer type thing in your mouth and it's very uncomfortable. Uh, Dandy has a scanner, so you don't have to do that anymore. Uh, and it uploads to their system. And then they, the dentist themselves can like place orders for crowns or aligners or a night guard all within one platform. Usually if you want like one thing over the other, you have to go to a few different labs. So it's all centralized, uh a lot more comfortable for the patients. Um and then just like easier and one platform for the dentists. Awesome. That's awesome.
0: I feel yeah. like there's an amazing like four out of five dentists preferred.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yes. And I was the only kid in my family who needed like orthodonture dental work um neither of my sisters needed it so i'm like i
1: get yes. it
0: yeah. yeah i feel like i lucked out in the dental realm i had uh yeah. almost nothing until i had a couple cavities last year and i was like no my body's falling
2: apart <laughs> <Shoot>. <laughs> yeah all four of my wisdom teeth i was the only kid that needed braces as a whole thing but i never had a cavity
0: oh, nice. nice same yeah. over
2: here that's a flex yeah <laughs> yes
0: no, that's like someone who's like I actually no don't want a television. <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like you can assume yes. so
0: much just by someone who's like I've actually never had a cavity. I don't know what that pain is like. Couldn't tell yeah. you. <laughs> I, just I just don't know. <laughs> um. So it seems like you're really passionate passionate about creating communities. Do you mind talking about what the word community means uh, from your work perspective and how you sort of activate that?
2: Yeah. I, I think that community has now been, you know, brought to the attention of a lot more people um, and, and people have like an idea in their head of what community should be. And that's, you know, it's in a space somewhere where there people are talking and hopefully it's all about how much they love you and your brand and your product. Uh, But to me, community is just like a group of people, probably like only 10% of people in your, in your market, let alone like your customer base that are just like weirdly passionate about the problem that you solve. Um, and they're the people who are always going to respond to your emails and are always going to respond to your social media posts. And it might not always be positive and they're probably kind of annoying, but it's because they care so much about what you're doing where they want to have like a back and forth with people just like them. Uh, and so I I think that that's that's how I define community. Uh, And I think it doesn't always have to be in like a platform. And it doesn't always have to be, you know, like managed by one person if it's kind of accepted in the ethos of the company itself. And I think that starts with, you know, the in the beginning of the company's history, like really listening to those loud people and being like, we're building this product for you. Like tell us what you want, tell us what you hate, tell us what you think is like the next best step here even if you're not a customer yet but just like what what would you want to see from us and there shouldn't be an ask from the company very often to be like okay now can you buy now can you try now can you it should kind of be a nice little symbiotic relationship uh without there needing to be one person like forcing part of the relationship to to happen
0: right it's like expanding the comment box to a, a platform that allows open communication back and forth. That maybe a, a higher form of listening by a company rather than just being like, "What well, you don't get it." What you got to do is spend. $9. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think like the Salesforce Marketo communities kind of exist because the companies aren't aren't listening as actively as uh, the the customers want, and I don't think that that's the that's not the kind of community that I would want to build. Um, I would want to build one that was, you know, like started and owned by the commun- by the company, but it's like moderated by the community members uh, and like people who everyone knows their name and like can legitimize their stance and how they think. And if it isn't like an owned platform, there's like a badge system and a recognition system and a, a database of people you can go to find like the experts who can help you. And it's really just all about Lifting up and legitimizing the people who are like your champions and not like the other way around.
0: Yeah. Um uh, is it sort of yeah, yeah. My mind just went to that app where you would check into a place. Was it called Foursquare or something?
2: Yeah. And Foursquare, if you checked yes.
0: in enough, you were like the mayor of the coffee shop or something.
1: <laughs> is that sort
0: of yeah. akin to what you're talking? It's like we're recognized people that frequent this place that are that offer good feedback, that offer in you know. Yeah, You know, like deep inquisitive questions and maybe aren't just there to, because it feels like you get into any kind of comment loop and there's probably a lot of vitriol and a lot of like anger because for some reason, comment boards are just like, oh, this is where you go to be angry. Um,
2: It's usually when no one's listening. So they think that they can just like say anything uh, because they just need to get it out. Uh, like starting my career in support and having a background also in like retail and hospitality. Generally, people just want to be heard, and that that hearing comes from like action or at least just recognition of the frustration. Uh, and that's like also if you create a community and abandon it, it's might become a place where it is just like uh let's rash on this company uh, because we know it's unmoderated and we can get away with it. Right. Whereas you know, starting a community comes with a lot of just manual work. Like you have to individually have conversations with those 10% of people and you have to understand what would make them feel valued, but also you don't want to put them in a community of people that are at an entirely different level from them and they can't have peer-to-peer conversations either. So how can you create enough critical mass of conversations where someone's dropped into the community, it doesn't feel empty, but they also confined to their people and it's hard.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Do you think it looks differently between communities in B2B spaces versus B2C spaces?
2: Probably. I think as much as B2B companies want to have the same affinity for their products as B2C products, like it, it's different. Um, I can use this product every morning versus I'm using this product in my work day. Right, right, right. Uh, and it's just two yeah. very different mindsets. But I, I think that there are going to be those people that are s- like stupid passionate about the about the product. Uh, even in B2B, I think it's one thing that people potentially misthink. I don't know if that's a real word. Uh, <laughs> is that every single one of their customers is going to want to be Highly involved in their community, right? Whereas instead, it's it really is that ten percent of users, and you want to you want to cater to that ten percent, not the ninety percent. Because ninety percent, if you ran like a product market fit survey, and you were like, "How upset would you be if you couldn't use the product anymore?" They'd be like seven. But the people, <laughs> like, There'd and that's fine. Like that's else, pretty good. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, it's fine. <laughs> like it wouldn't ruin my life. Whereas the people who are 10s, like you really want to focus on finding other people who would be at 10 um, and understanding what makes what makes them tick and what they need. Uh, and the former VP of community at Yelp did this where only about 10% of people would go out of their way to give reviews. Right. Like restaurants would hold, you know, like events and prizes if you gave them a review on Yelp, but there were only about 10% of people who would actively go out of their way to like write these lengthy reviews of the places that they would frequent, and so that's what she focused her programming on, and had co- like individual conversations with those people, and we we're like, why? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, like why? I, and you know, why not? But also just like, how can we make it easier for you to get your name out there? Also as like a reviewer,
0: a food critic, yeah. even. You well, know? Yelp created um, a system where people could start to become recognizable culinarily as like, yeah. oh, they're an elite critic of restaurants. Yeah, like, look at
2: exactly. This. And yeah, and that all comes from listening to the people who are like going out of their way to use your product and then raising them up instead of, you know, giving them a discount or, you know, giving them like access to Yelp Pro or I don't even know if that exists. But instead <laughs> it was like, no, we are going to legitimize this person because of the way that they use our product and make more people want to get to that level. Uh, which will inherently drive usage, but it first starts with patting people on the back uh, and taking yourself out of it and being like, no, look at this person, look at what they do.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's incredible. Can you talk about how uh, this aspect of community is involved either directly or indirectly in, in a company's growth?
2: Yeah, VoiceFlow was a community-led growth sort of play, I think. Um, they are also product led in that they have a freemium model. You can sign up for free. You can always use it for free and then you can upgrade. But what they, what the product started as was just like children's books that you could like listen to on Alexa. And it was started by five college dudes who were not parents. And so they were like, okay, we need to talk to some people who would be interested in using this product and would be interested in using our Alexa skill." Um, and in that having those conversations, there wasn't just like one need for one story and they wanted to build all these all these story flows, which was what the name of the company was called, but the UI was really bad. So then they were like, okay, that's actually, that might be a better product. Um, and there was this whole community of like Alexa developers that were super passionate, but had nowhere to have conversations. And they themselves felt that same pain. So they were like, hey, is anyone else experiencing this? Like this sucks. Uh, and people were like, Hell yeah, it does. Uh, we are disgruntled, uh, and they were like, "Totally hear you." We're we're working on this thing. Like, what do you think? And they got that immediate sort of like trust and buy-in from the people that they would be building for because they experienced the same pain. And then they maintained that relationship as the product developed. They were like, "Hey, uh, you know, we're potentially moving away from just Alexa as a channel." has, does anyone also do conversation design for their day job? Uh, And you just do Alexa on the side. And there's a, a pretty large overlap there. Like usually you get in doing like an Alexa skill for funsies and then you realize, oh, I can do this as my, as my job. And so that just kind of helped with the snowball effect of we get in with the people who are doing this kind of in a B2C way of just like, this is a cool thing. I want to build a skill that reads, Children's stories to my grandchildren because it's COVID and I can't fly and see them. And now I also want to like restart my career as a developer or restart my career as a conversation designer. Uh, where can I have those conversations? Who else has done that too? And I think like every product starts because the founders know that there is a problem. I think instead of, you know, maybe talking to investors. And peers first, like trying to also talk to people who have experienced that same pain so that your minimum viable product that you go to market with also comes with a bunch of people who have experienced the same problem and want to try it out and want to talk to each other about it.
0: And where um, do you where do you search to even, you know, like say this this problem exists? Is it just like send it out into the ether and hope you land in a in a supportive, safe, communicative <laughs> environment? It feels like, yeah. To me, it feels like it, such a hard thing to do to f- sort of find that initial community. It's like moving to a new city or something, and you're like, I don't know anybody yeah. who likes the same stuff as me.
2: Right. Maybe I'll yes. take a class. I think that <laughs> there are generally platforms where you can find where like larger sort of communities gather, uh, but I think LinkedIn, Twitter, and Reddit are like the three big channels where you can find where those sub conversations are happening. And then it might lead you to a Slack channel or a Facebook group or an owned community somewhere else. But generally, those like high level conversations are happening publicly on those three social networks. Um, Reddit is good for like your very niche, (laughs) but very honest (laughs) group.
0: (laughs) Very honest. That's a kind way of putting care. it.
2: Very honest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> very honest. Um, My people, son doesn't like,
0: misbehave in class. He's just very honest. <laughs>
2: just like, <laughs> does not hold back. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, but but I think that's you know that's a good default of just like no one's having these conversations. Like there's a subreddit for it. I guarantee it. Right. Uh, I think it's also there's just an underlying thing in marketing where people don't spend as much time as they want to on certain things because they're not granted that time by leadership because they need to drive ROI right now. They should have been driving ROI yesterday. And so they are not a lot of that time to really find those 10% of people who are like hyper-passionate and also care enough that they want to help make it better. And so then you are left with a bunch of communities that are really just a community of product versus a community of practice where, uh, Let's all just talk about Voiceful. Let's all just talk about Drift. Let's all just talk about Sendoso, whatever. Versus we are marketers who are all in-house, who are generally on the content brand side of things. Like that's very niche and specific. Uh, And they could talk about a whole bunch of tools, uh, but it's, you know, not under the guise of, and we have to talk about brand folder.
0: What kind of relationship to ROI do these communities have or, or can these communities affect?
2: Yeah, they're not an they're not an acquisition channel. Like your community is not an acquisition channel. Uh, it's a retention channel, and it's like an LTV sort of channel uh, where someone's in in that, or and also like activation if you have that sort of metric and you you measure that. Um, it's a place where people feel like they are more tied to your business, and so uh, you're going to have more like actively communicative customers. Um, So, you know, like looking to see, I know that a lot of CS orgs will measure, you know, like how responsive are they to our communications? Uh, There's also, you know, it's harder to rip, like rip out a tool when you feel emotionally tied to its user base as well, uh, where it's like, Oh, but I'm going to lose access to all these people who are super helpful um, with, you know, my setup. And, and they weren't even part of the business. They were just the community of people who used it. And then the LTV is, you know, it's hard sometimes to always immediately show the value of new products or services or features or whatever that increase the cost of a contract. But if they can see real, like a real life example, like a real social proof example of someone getting value out of that part of your product, then they'll be more willing to expand, upgrade, whatever. So... It's not generally, it's like a customer customer marketing slash CS owned type channel, but I think it can help with sales acceleration as well. Because you can yeah. say, look, you get a dedicated customer success manager, you get your account manager, but you also get these hundreds or thousands of people who use our product every single day and their knowledge at your fingertips as well. Yeah, And that can kind of help with, you know, closing the deal if you yeah. want. Yes. Exactly. I mean, it just
0: shows so much, it shows that that people are, are interested enough to be active about it and to sort of pose questions and pose thoughts and concerns and then, you know, it feels like any sort of swell up of energy like that around the product or around what you offer is, that feels like one of those like, you know, if it's quiet in there, it's a bad sign. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Or it's just your community didn't need to exist. Like those, those conversations are happening somewhere else and you can go have a presence in those places and be seen as a resource when they have questions about your specific product. But it also means that if you want to have a community, you need to make sure that the conversations you want to have aren't happening elsewhere. And that's part of the manual work as well is finding out where people are having conversations about you. Um, And Are they the kinds of conversations you want to have? Are you seeing something missing? Can you have one-on-one conversations with the people who are talking about you and asking them, hey, would you like to have a place where we could talk more in depth about this certain thing? Or are you good? And that's kind of the initial research that should be done before you decide, hey, community-led growth is a big thing right now. We should have a community. Let's freaking do it. Yeah. Because not every company needs to have a community,
0: right? Yeah. Sage words. Do you mind... Uh, so it feels like this is a very sort of modern idea or there's like something that feels very of the times to this, whereas it it almost feels like community used to be at trade shows or at conferences or at like you go to the same hotel and you all get the same, you know, salad bar. Uh, how do these sort of digital experiences of community maybe integrate with or reflect or participate with in-person events or in-person sort of community building uh i i don't know that i'm just like wondering yeah. cuz it feels like it's there's a relationship to these in-person community uh activations or pardon not not having the exact right word but i'm yeah. just wondering if you have an idea or have any insight on the differences between having this sort of beautiful online community for a business to sort of point their customer base to?
2: Yeah, I think there is definitely an overlap. I think that the company needs to make sure that they have presence for the community where they are at when they go to these in-person activations. I think Drift did a really good job of this. For example, we wouldn't have a presence at trade shows. The CEO didn't believe in trade shows for a bit. Um, <laughs> they'd go to them now. They're good. Um, but they would do like workouts at in the cities where big trade shows were happening. So it wasn't a happy hour. It wasn't a drinking sort of event. It was a little bit more catered to whoever wants to come to this not sponsored, but put on by drift sort of event where anyone can come uh, and it's before the conference and you can get a little shake out before the day. Um, and then, you know, Enjoy the sessions. We'll see you later. That was definitely uh, like a big, a big part of Drift's community that brought them in person. But once we did start to have presence at trade shows, and we started to put on our own events. Uh, we had me <laughs> at a lot of the trade shows and conferences as like the. And if you're a customer come to our booth and Sarah will like look at your bot and give you tips and you know she has that knowledge that your cs person might not have because she does this for her job as well. Right. Um and so we had that sort of spokesperson to at our booth so that we could have different communication to prospects versus customers of like come by like see our booth grab some swag and if you have a question about your bot like we will have someone who 100% can answer your question at this booth at right. this table when you come to hypergrowth, something like that. Um, so I think as long as you put the effort in to have like that representative, like the name that people know, uh, then they're going to feel enticed to come and say hi and stop by. And then you can go one step further and have a community only sort of event. I think the exclusivity like the open exclusivity part of community is fun, uh, where it's like, it's free to join our community, but you have to be inside it to right.
0: get
1: invited yeah. to this thing.
0: It's on the cool camping trip.
1: Right. <laughs> 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 That's awesome. I kind of like that different, um, instead of having a happy hour, having, like you said, that sense of community and knowing a specific person that they can go to and connect with within the company that Mm -hmm. creates that for them. That's awesome. Outside of work, what kind of things are you interested in or even passionate about? So
2: we're, I think we're all Colorado people. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. Colorado. Colorado. So outside, (laughs) I like the outside uh, a lot, which is cool. Uh, We have a lot of it here. Um, So big fan of skiing. uh, But like the thing that I kind of get nerdy about that I really like is boxing as a, as a physical activity. Yeah. I yes, think, I think it's I really that as fun. Well. Uh, yeah. Oh my God. So yeah. fun. Um, it's, <laughs> it's one of those, uh, I don't know. It just feels like a little tangential to what a lot of people do for their physical activity, but it's so darn yeah. fun. Uh, yes. I think it's also like an accessible sort of activity, um, where like you doesn't matter what size or, you know, how in shape you are. It's like one of those things where you can go and just like get Get your angst out if you it's want. So counterintuitive
0: uh, to me, boxing. Yes. Like, oh. <laughs> I'm am a slight fellow. I'm a, a scrawny of the scrawny family. Uh, just the thought of I, I walking I be like into a, a boxing gym <laughs> yeah, is like the most intimidating thing on earth. Like seeing a bunch. Well, of it's dudes because like they're all like, bags. They're all and yeah. Yeah. in
2: basements. Like all boxing studios, like are in a basement. Like yes, bad lighting. Like, yeah, yeah. Constantly yeah. smells D- just dusty. Like,
0: like yes, one light it's like peering through like very... a fan in the ceiling. <laughs> That's literally
2: the <laughs> that I got to. That's it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but everyone is like so friendly. And then you'll have yeah. these like boxing instructors who are like big, brilliant. And then they're just like really, really nice people. Uh, yes. And I, it's, there's just like that sense of community. Like my dad's obsessed with CrossFit. So he loves the like CrossFit community. I think there's similar part to it and i think there's a really cool stuff happening in like women's boxing right now yeah because they're getting paid which is cool
1: um, yes it's <laughs> awesome <new>. finally <laughs> yeah. yeah that's new that's new for them <laughs> i love that well maybe we'll run it we should just all go boxing sometime yeah towel of boxing on East any Fox. any shape and size welcome anybody yeah. can do it
0: all right yeah we'll do it.
1: i love that i want to be shaking in
0: my boxing shoes though <laughs> yeah. it's fine I'm Don't worry like, what, it. uh, what size gloves are these? Do you have anything smaller? Do uh- <laughs> you have anything a little bit lighter? <laughs> yeah, do you have anything? <laughs> a little bit smaller.
3: <laughs> I love new,
0: that. New hands.
1: <laughs> I will say the wrapping when I first started was the most interesting thing because doing it to my opposite hand, like with my left hand was mm-hmm. very challenging. Yeah. And I, bu- I bite when I put the gloves on. Are you I a can. biter? Yeah. Well, I'm also thing to say, like, but. Wow. <laughs> the,
2: yeah <laughs> I also like get nervous of looking silly. So I watched a lot of videos before I went to my first boxing yeah. class. So like I watched a video on how to wrap my hands. I watched a video on like the different kinds of punches. Yeah. Uh, but I still get very humbled.
1: Yes. Every class. Yes. Yes. Does I that watched mean, Million like... Dollar Baby to pump me up. So I'm kind of like other end of
0: the spectrum. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> <laughs> Humbled sounds like some sort of coded language for like beat up. Is that is that
2: not <laughs> that necessarily? Uh, it's just there's like very like small in- intricacies in your form that you don't like focus on until you mm. can nail the basics. And then right. I've been hooking wrong the whole time I've been boxing, and I'm like, that guy, okay. like, yeah, it's one of the main punches. But guess I've been doing that one wrong. <laughs> Shoot,
1: <laughs> I love that. I mean, that's awesome.
2: But, it's fun to have something that you're getting better at that you can talk about. Um, I tried rollerblading; it d- it didn't work out for me as, oh, as well. Oh, yeah. yeah.
1: I was a that rollerblader is, is in a my youth.
2: Yeah, I was a figure skater, so I thought it would translate. Ooh, well. nice. I didn't.
3: <laughs> yeah, not as well
1: as I hoped. Yeah, I love that. Um, so tell us about your podcast. I tuned in a bit, and I absolutely loved it. And I also really like your branding, by the way. Thank you. But what I are some of your <laughs> My co-host of that, Bridget
2: Putkers. I great love app. that.
1: Yeah. That's great. Um, what are some of the most engaging and insightful conversations that you think that you've been able to host within your podcast that some of our listeners might be interested in?
2: Yeah. Um so we started because we had a lot of like hot takes about working in tech. Uh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Especially as people who were like in it. A lot of career podcasts focus on people who have done it and they're like looking back on it and they forget like the minutes where your emotions yes. change. And you're like, that was crazy. Did anyone else feel that? Uh, so that's kind of why we started uh, the podcast. And we've had, I think the most exciting thing about it is that we've gotten to have our um, minds changed. Um, and I think that's I just like that. super healthy in general of being like, oh, new information and a new set of the story. Makes total sense to me. Like, never thought about it that way. it's yes. like I learned something. Uh, but I think also just being able to talk to people that we whose names we recognize in the space and be like, "What do you think about this thing? Um, what what does it mean to you when you've left a job after eight months? Because that's that's what I did, and I'm feeling a little bit of shame. Like, oh no, you know. But it's totally normal in startups when. You are growing at the same pace as the company. It just happens to be in separate directions and neither direction is bad. Uh, they just are separate.
3: Right.
2: Um, and so yeah. it's it's just being able to like capture and talk about those like tiny nuances where like all of a sudden you don't need to ask for feedback as much. Like that happens one day. Yeah. People trust you, but they're not going to tell you. It just like happens. Uh, so just being able to kind of have it be our audio diary for this point in our careers where we're growing faster than we ever have. But we're like, are we, what's going on? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, and like exactly. we get to talk to people who have had just like totally different experiences from us. We talk to, I've never been laid off, um, but we talked to someone who had and like how to deal with it and what happens next. And I think that's yeah. rather pertinent right now, which is, um, he's just like super smart great guy. Um, But we've also gotten to talk to people who are like, I did want to go get my MBA and here's why. And we're like, sweet. I don't really want to, but I get why someone would now Uh, where we were like, we don't give a fuck about MBAs
3: before.
0: (laughs) (laughs) right?
2: Um, So yeah, just like being able to have our minds changed, hear about other people's experience, like see if they felt these weird nuanced changes that happen in your tech career that feel like they accelerate. Cause we've only been working for like five and seven years, but a lot's, a lot's happened.
0: Yeah. yeah <laughs> right. That's
2: a, I, yeah.
0: It's a point in five and seven. Yeah. yeah. Tell us the name of the podcast.
2: <laughs> um, It's called self-control and cheese, uh, which was a yes. name that we came up with immediately, never rethought. <laughs> and then when we have to say it, we're like, yes. Uh, we ask all of our guests what cheese they have in their fridge afterwards. <gasps> Big cheese yeah. fans. That's nice. yeah. But I think also just like, We're both very loud, outspoken people and like the self-control part of, you know, when to speak up, when to not, how to say the things on your mind in a professional setting is something that just like always comes up in our conversations as well, uh, where it's like how to have really hard and honest conversations about the fact that you might be like in a really toxic situation and like, is anyone else experiencing this? Exactly. Um, So, Yeah. That's what it's called. We're on a we like take a break for the summer because we're like nobody needs to hear us talk about <laughs> professional growth during, when you should be at the beach. because yeah. we also want to be at the beach.
3: Cheese tours,
1: cheese tours. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, what kind of cheese do you have in your fridge right now? Because now I have to uh, I have to ask. Yeah. Um, yeah. We found ghost pepper cheese that's like a step
2: up what? from pepper Whoa. jack yeah. Where and is it wasn't that? from I was literally at Safeway
3: yeah
2: ooh yeah it was just sliced and I, I'm a big sandwich girl so that was great yeah it was great on a sandwich so that's the sliced cheese we have right now for a while I had some like really fancy cheeses in my fridge but I'm, what's your go-to I'm on, a,
0: on a cheese board if you if you went to a restaurant they were like ooh, yeah you yeah. get a three cheese board what do you want yeah <laughs>
2: Um, I love a like I, I prefer hard cheeses. Yeah. 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 Um, yep. Could be like a sheep's a milk,
0: like a cow's milk. Yeah. You got. yeah.
2: yeah. Definitely. Uh, I think like cow's milk, like a Comte is like a French cheddar. Oh, yeah. Basically, It's just like fancy it's cheddar. It's so good. It's so good. Uh, but I do love goat cheese yeah, and I, I do that. like a blue cheese. Like I I'll go for a stinky cheese. I spent a year in France. So right.
0: yeah. I like it as I like, blue as it gets.
1: Yeah, like it's I good.
0: Like with the, a little yeah. the, the and a little piece of like salami. Blue. Yeah.
1: Yes.
3: I'm
1: yeah. from Wisconsin, so I really appreciated your take on cheese. And oh that's so ridiculous of me to admit that. But it's, it's true. We like have, cheese in Wisconsin.
2: I have a lot yeah. of respect for the Wisconsin cheese
1: market. <laughs> <laughs> so stand with the brand, Facebook, a.k.a. Meta. Uh, has faced criticism for its practices last year. And I think this year, let's be real, they've had a lot of changes. But they announced a change in their ads that was no longer going to be able to target people based on um, interest categories such as race, religion, health conditions, politics, or even sexual orientation. So as far back as 2018, um, CEO Mark Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg, wow, told Congress that the... Con- company had removed the ability to exclude ethnic groups and other sensitive categories from ad targeting. So that isn't a feature that's even available anymore. Um, Facebook said its recent changes were needed to prevent abuse, but some organizations have pushed back and because they use Facebook for social good and have complained that the new policies are in a way putting up barriers for them. uh, Some of those groups are included in that are climate activists, medical researchers, So Daniel Carr, who's a recruitment consultant for Smash Labs, which is a medical research group that uses Facebook um, to be able to recruit gay and bisexual men for studies, said that recent changes forced them to switch from terms like LGBT culture to pop culture references like RuPaul's Drag Race. He said it's made it more complicated on their side and it's actually not changing anything other than Facebook can now say, we don't allow you to target by these things. So I want to know, do you stand with the brand or do you take a seat based on the changes that Facebook has made? If this was happening in like a
2: bubble, I would be like, okay, I kind of get it. Uh, But there's just so much about Facebook slash meta and the way that they like to problem solve that I don't always stand with where it's like let's just get rid of the problem instead of addressing like how people are abusing this Uh, because not everyone who is using those settings I'm sure are abusing like or or you know publishing bad ads I think it's just like let's take everyone's toys away because one like a few people aren't using them the right way uh so i think that there would probably be a like more creative way that facebook could have solved this problem like from a company perspective and it could have been a really cool like job creation opportunity for them as well Uh, but instead they were like let's just shut it down uh, because we don't want to deal with it and we don't want to deal with like the people who are abusing it so like we'll just stop um so i would
1: take a seat yeah I am going to take a seat with you. I feel like it almost was putting like red caution tape over it or almost a piece of duct tape on a leaky faucet instead yeah. of hosting, like putting out a conversation and maybe even having people fill out like something as simple as a survey and making it fun and asking what they want within their communities based on especially like climate activists, medical researchers. I mean, yeah all kinds of different people who are now dealing with this, who are trying to do something good Mm -hmm. and kind of get conversations going. I feel the same way where it just kind of was, we're not going to deal with this issue. We're just going to kind of sweep it under the rug and see how it goes, even though it didn't actually address the root cause of the problem. Yeah. I think that also college courses that want, like
2: that are usually promoted, like are now hindered by this too, because you can't, Promote a race and gender studies major. Yeah. Uh, Like literally both of those things. Couldn't talk about political science even, you know, like you can't promote those sorts of like master's programs or whatever. Uh, So just, it makes more people's lives harder uh, than if you had gone to like the root of the problem.
1: Yeah. What's your take, Nick?
0: Yeah, it's tough. It, to me, it just feels like the, the landscape that Facebook sort of sees is too vast. It's just too, too many people, too many, uh, possible pitfalls that it's, it's just hard to give, like slap one rule or slap one thing without, you know, further complicating your own issue. Like it's, Mm -hmm. um, it's just tough. I don't know. I, it seems like they're, broadly trying to be like, well, we're doing some, this is noble. Like, this is a good choice for everyone. And then inevitably you see maybe the harmful effects. Um, but I bet it's just a fluid thing that's gonna keep on changing uh, as culture changes and as people's Facebook use changes. and it just feels like, I don't how do you win? How do you win in that realm? Because yeah. there's like so many zealots and so many, you know, like very, very loud people that will let you know uh, the second a misstep takes place.
2: Yeah. We're looking for the misstep. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. We're waiting. Yes. <laughs> but.
0: They're like Yelpers.
2: You know. <laughs> They're like Yelpers. They're waiting. <laughs> they only They're give like a review if,
0: if you had a hair yeah, in your you food or something.
2: Yeah. Yes. Exactly.
0: <laughs> All right. Love uh it. Awesome. Well, that was very fun. So this is the final thing that we do on each episode is we sort of uh, open up to a couple more personal philosophical questions that we ask everybody that comes on the show. Uh, and the first one is what Sarah, have you done recently for the very first time?
2: Yeah, I was thinking about this and it's tricky. I don't, I don't, I'm very risk averse. Like I don't like to do things, but I don't have an <laughs> early researched first. Uh, but I think, um, I took a not, safe um like career move. Um and like went outside of my comfort zone and like yeah, was comfortable, not comfortable, but comfortable leaving a job before like the appropriate tenure of, you know, just stick it out. Um and like went to find another place that would be a little bit more in line with like my growth and career goals.
3: Yeah. So,
2: most of the time, like my last career moves were like I was pigeonholed at drift. So I was like, I can only be the bot girl here. So I gotta go somewhere else where I can do anything. Um and then with Alice, it was like, okay, I miss PLG. Like I've been here long enough. Um, but voice flow was like a very personal, like this isn't how I want my career to go. Um, nothing wrong with the way it's it would go here. It's just not how I want it to go.
0: If you were invited to a show and tell right now, what do you think you would bring?
2: Either my boxing gloves to be like, I do this. Yes. Or um, I still have my journals from when I studied abroad. And I think that that would just be like a fun little, like I kept all my like ticket stubs and like all that fun. Um, And I think it would just be a cool thing because I wrote in it every day. It was the only time I maintained the journal. And I was abroad for my full like third year of university Um, because I had like a good program and all my credits could transfer. And I was a French major. So I was just in France uh, vibing. It was great i think i peaked love that (laughs) (laughs) i don't think i'll ever be that cool ever again
0: (laughs) yeah no we all peak sometime Uh, yeah (laughs) that that sounds amazing have you heard of the show mortified
2: no that feels like it's a
0: it's a show they had a series or episode on netflix it's like a touring national show where they find people that kept journals from when they were young and people just Ooh. read stories from their journals when they're young. They do it in Denver. And I know the, I know the host that hosts Ooh. the Denver branch. Is at the Oriental yeah. Theater um, on that Tennyson Strip. But it's such a great show. And it's stuff like that that ends up on the show. It's people that are like, I peaked when I studied abroad in France. Yeah. Here's my journal <laughs> like entry.
2: Yeah, exactly. I was like, <laughs> I had like the happiest moment of my life and it was only just walking home from the metro station, like listening to a good music playlist. And I was
0: like, I'm thrilled. I'm yeah. happy to be here. Epic. Yes. Yeah. Did for a good show. Um, so finally, if you had to give one piece of advice to a younger version of yourself, what advice do you think you you'd give?
2: I think I would talk to my college self. Um, and say, just like take everything with a grain of salt um, because this isn't the only path. Uh, I was a business major and a French major. um, And the business program was like big four, CPA, MBA. Like those are your three um, career paths. And I was like, that doesn't seem like very much fun to me. (laughs) (laughs) But I was going to become a CPA because I was really good at accounting. Uh, And then I got an interview at Drift and the VP of sales was riding around the office on a bicycle, on a sales call. And I was like, I can't work at Deloitte. There are companies (laughs) like
0: this. (laughs) Yeah. Seduced by tech scooter life.
2: (laughs) I know. Really. It's like the most cliche thing ever. Whereas like, they literally had to ban scooters in the office at one point. It was like the whole thing. Too
0: much traffic. Some injuries. There was traffic.
2: (laughs) And it was too, (laughs) the office was too small. We were already like like toe-to-toe in this office and scooters were not helping
0: (laughs) yeah i bet there were some uh some swells in the in the community boards (laughs) they're like (laughs) clipped by a scooter today walking to get some cereal (laughs) there was an injury
2: so there was oh my god in in it was an employee but he did take spill
0: oof yeah (laughs) yeah we okay. had a couple. Dangerous. Brainfolder has a big office uh, that's very long, oh, really? and it has those sort of polished concrete floors, so it's just perfect scooter for prime. And there were a like couple. a small penny board. Oh yeah, those Ooh, are great. Yeah. Those are more dangerous, though. I feel like for sure. you got to yeah. have some talent to Record- so, like ride around on those. In
2: balance, yeah.
0: You got to have some There's board shorts. To on to. You got to have some dreadlocks.
2: <laughs> you got to be wearing vans. Yeah, you got to be wearing I, vans.
0: You got to have a suite you know? like throw a shock every now and then to your friends. Yep. <laughs> How's it going over there Absolutely. in sales?
2: Woo!
1: <laughs> All right, I'm
2: coming by that. the grandfather Folder office. Seems fun.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Scooter scooter on the weekends. <laughs> love it. Yeah. <laughs> love
0: it. Um, is there anything else that you want to plug or, or chat about or go through? It's been such a joy talking to you.
2: If you're thinking about starting a community, advocate for the time that you need to make sure it makes sense for your company. Um, if you are like mid-level in your career and you're like what's going on feel free to check out the podcast we also have a job board um so if you're hiring or like want a job uh, you can like create a candidate profile and it's on the dl like no one will see that you created a profile so it's you know if you're still in your current job it's really fun um but yeah i hope everyone has a good summer too and doesn't think as much about this stuff and just gets to go outside (laughs) yes
0: (laughs) Yeah, Sarah, it's, it's been such a joy. This is awesome. Yeah,
1: thank you so much. It was lovely.
0: You're listening to a Brand Folder podcast, where we like to say, strong brands live here. Join us as we build the Brand Collective, a podcast for anyone curious about the people behind the brands that we all love.
1: We're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe.
0: And if you feel inspired, leave us a review. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. Until next time, this has been the Brand Collective.